This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. This is actually the penultimate episode. I was... Um, I was trying to, not forever, by the way, just to put that caveat out there. I was, I was editing the other week where I'd gone, this is the penultimate. What is penultimate? Is it the one, the one before the one? The yeah, one, okay, it's the it one before. This <laughs> is the penultimate episode. It's coming to you after what's been a busy weekend in fertility conversations. I've been hosting two days of the Fertility Shows Online Summit, which was brilliant to be a part of. And I'll make sure there's links in the show notes to this episode um, because if you did go, then you get access to all the conversations for like another six weeks and there'll still be lots of different stuff that they're sharing. I'm not quite sure whether you can access it after the event, um, but go and look at the show notes and have a look because they had over 70 uh, experts talking and just the fact that so many experts were together over a weekend was so good because Kate, we've been involved in the show for real, mm-hmm. haven't we? And mm-hmm. And it's just... It's a lot. It's a lot of information to take on, but there's something quite, what's the word, um, reassuring to get so much information, especially if you are a, a Google geek and find yourself down rabbit holes. Mm. This is a really credible way, which is what we're all about in the podcast, of, of, of hearing what the experts have got to say and getting your questions answered. And, and hopefully if you were there, we'd love to hear what you thought of it as well. Mm. Definitely an interesting way to do it wasn't it with it all being online absolutely yeah but you know that's just the way things are at the moment I know um and it's a great way of accessing information especially for people that actually might not have necessarily been able to be there live so you know it's a great way of of making things more accessible and I am actually talking about it in the past tense if you're listening to this on Monday the 27th of September when uh, it actually drops then um the fertility show summit is actually still happening and our guest on today's podcast is actually talking. So the lovely Kat Strawbridge, who is our guest in today's episode, is getting loads of uh, coverage today. I was saying to her, just let you know, we're sharing your chat on Monday. I know you're speaking at the fertility show. So she was like, yes. Uh, Kat, Kat's talking about um, about kind of pregnancy after IVF. And the conversation that we're having with her is kind of about pregnancy, but also about parenting after IVF and Kat's someone who we're both friendly with and we had a a lovely chat and I think as always I mean she's so honest and open Kat isn't she I think that Mm. you really get a lot out of it yeah she's great she's just a lovely person she radiates loveliness I think Kat doesn't she and um, has got some great information to share have a listen we'll put all Kat's details in uh, the show notes and we will catch up with you at the end so I'm really looking forward to welcoming um, an old friend and fellow podcaster to the podcast welcome Kat Strawbridge Oh, hello there, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. And I will be putting links to the chats that I've had with Kat because we had a lovely chat. Um, Kat and I knew each other before we re-met each other in this fertility space. And I always have like this fond memory of us sat in the King Harry pub in St Albans talking about knickers and fashion. (laughs) 
that's what I used to do. That doesn't make any sense to anyone otherwise. <laughs> but I was a lingerie buyer, so it is legit. It oh, wasn't. okay. I was wondering. I thought, oh, this is a bit kinky. I think we're on the wrong podcast here. <laughs> I was just going to leave that out there and see what you came back with. <laughs> Well, if you're not following Kat on Instagram, her handle is trying is and Kat created a brilliant podcast called Finally Pregnant. And when I saw it launch, I was just like, brilliant. It's just such a sentiment that is so poignant when you've been through Mm. all of this. And we're going to be talking with Kat about parenting after IVF. There's so much to discuss. You've covered so much in your podcast. So I thought it might be interesting to start at whether there's a most common fear that people have spoken to you about since you've been doing it. I think that one of the things that does come up a lot is the anxiety and how that will come across when so obviously we're talking about parenting because the pregnancy anxiety is huge um and and I cover and talk about that a lot the parenting side of things it is still that anxiety really and it's that fear of perhaps for the child being a bit overbearing because of our anxiety you know people talk about it so often you know like oh my gosh I checked that they're breathing I checked that they're breathing constantly 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 and as much as that doesn't affect a baby, obviously, like we take on so much from that because that isn't just a simple act. That's like a constant mind chatter, isn't it? So that we go and do that action to to make sure they are breathing. And I suspect a lot of concern is, you know, how long is that going to last for? And it isn't just necessarily going to be an action of checking their breathing. It's like that they're never allowed out, that they're not allowed to climb anything, that they're not allowed to, you know, taste anything, that they're not allowed, to, you know, and that fear that something is going to happen to them and the impact that will have on their lives so I think anxiety but it's actually you know so much bigger as as all mental health is than just simply saying that people feel anxious about being parents and of course we can talk about the pregnant the pregnancy after infertility because that's the whole reason that you know you've continued to have these conversations I'd seen that you'd shared just on the point post about scanxiety anxiety the consumed by in the lead up to enduring pregnancy tell us more about that because I I, was that from you or was that from the many conversations oh that's from the many conversations I can't claim to have created that word (laughs) to be honest and even when you look it up you know it's something that I think the cancer community has all all, you know they talk about maybe that's where it came from I think very possibly Mm. actually for me the way I dealt with it during my pregnancy initially I put scans in regularly like I was the scan queen I had every week to 10 days in the first 16 weeks of my pregnancy as part of that was because we had a loss within my pregnancy because I was expecting identical twins and we lost one and I remember during that scan where we found out that we'd lost her at 10 weeks I was only focused on the loss you know because that's all I could deal with at that moment and that was I want to say like a Wednesday or Thursday and the Sunday I was like do you know what I need to go back and I need to see our little survivor because I didn't feel like I gave her any time in that scan and at the time we didn't know that that they were girls but so we did have an extra one then and we booked them in in advance and actually what I learned over time was that even the action of booking the scan my scanxiety started right there because I had something, you know, in my foreseeable future. And so it just started building. And what I realized and, and, and learned and changed then during my pregnancy was I was better off personally, not having it in the diary, leaving it. And then if I thought, Do you know what, it's been a while, 
I need to go and see this little baby and make sure that they're still there and they're okay. And fortunately, you know, it was pre-COVID accessibility was so much higher. Hopefully, you know, we're coming out so people can do this more easily. But I would then book one either for the same day or the next 24, 48 hours. And that for me, kept that fear and that worry and that build up to a minimum, but still achieving the same thing, i.e. going for a scan. And and it was, I don't think I walked into a scan and didn't cry. Mm. <laughs> it's mm. the truth. I really, I don't remember that that being the case ever. I was always scared stiff that we were going to get bad news. So, so the scan anxiety was there. However, far in advance, I booked it, I guess. And what about how you were looked after by the sonographer or if you're having conversations with the midwife? Because I remember a good couple of years ago having a conversation with a, a, a midwife who had been through her own infertility and was educating, and I'll put a link to this chat as well, was educating other midwives on the neuroses that might come with women and, and men who have, have been through the infertility kind of um, experience. How do you feel you were treated? Really well. I can't complain about anyone. Like, And, 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 and if anything, it would be the opposite. I am very open, you know, like as soon as they said cat strawbridge, I'm like, yeah, been through a lot, IVF, loss, I'm scared, crying, you know, so so there was there was no nothing hiding what I had been been through. Um and and each and every person that I kind of came face to face with during that journey, um, they took that on board and were really gentle with me, you know, and I would always say, just tell me there's a heartbeat and then do whatever you need to do. But I just want to know the heart is beating. And and they were always, I can't think of a time where that wasn't the case, that they were always just really, really warm, really wanted to make me feel safe and settled. And then they kind of cracked on with the important bit. Which is great to hear, because sadly, though, as we all know, that's not often or always the case, is it, that actually... Sometimes you can be in a position where perhaps a lady has a sonographer who's not being as um, emotionally aware, if you like. We've just been doing another podcast and we kind of talked about the term um, kind of empathy fatigue, that actually because professionals are doing this so frequently that they actually forget that they need to deliver bad news in, in the right way, in a compassionate way with empathy. And I think sometimes women are so... It's such a common knowledge and common um, thing to go through that actually you don't always have such a positive experience that you had. I completely agree. And I can tell you that with our first miscarriage, I felt like we were the first people to go through that. We were Mm, in a hospital. But I mean, from the point of view of the professionals, their experience kind of were like, what do we do with them? Like they didn't (sighs) say that, but that's how we felt they were feeling. Because, you know, you walk out of the room onto the waiting room full of pregnant people and you've just heard the most devastating news you could Mm. ever experience. Mm. And I felt like literally they didn't know where to put us. And they were kind of like, and they put us in a room around the corner you know, and that kind of left us there for a while. So is there room for improvement in some situations? 100%. Um, I really do think there there is. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be right. But we can't have been the first people to have gone through that. Like, how did they not have that sewn up a little bit better? You know, I, I completely agree. And I was felt very privileged, Kat, last week to listen to your um, webinar for uh, ESHRA, which is our European kind of scientific conference for anybody, a Congress, anyone who's kind of in, in the fertility industry will, will have this in their diary every year. We go to it. Normally, we go to it. 
last two years it's been virtual sadly although next year I think it's Milan so I've so got that booked in and told Natalie about that um and I listened to your fantastic presentation talking about exactly that how to deliver bad news how to be more empathetic and and it was fantastic you delivered such a good presentation what was that like for you doing that because it's quite must be quite nerve-wracking you're talking to a whole load of professionals it must be quite a big thing I think it's kind of I've I've done it quite a lot now, so it's not so bad. It's my story. It's my truth. I can't get it wrong. Do you know? Like I wasn't as prepared as I wanted to be, but that was a that was a time difference issue. <laughs> I totally thought the recording was an hour later, but anyway, oh, no, that um, hour. <laughs> but you know, it is my truth. It's it's how I have experienced it. It's the stories of the hundreds, if not thousands, of women and men that I have spoken to. And I just think that I am incredibly privileged to have that voice, to be speaking to the people who are supporting us through it. And and it's something that I want to to use in the best way possible so that I can support this community, not only as an individual supporting individuals, but also speaking to our medical professionals and, mm. and, and getting our voice in front of them so they can support us better as well. So important. And I'm sure you had loads of great feedback because it was a great session. It was really good. And that whole bridge between the kind of patient and the expert is something that, you know, has been a big ethos for the, the podcast and and a lot of the voices in this community how do you feel in the time that you've been doing it and you know you talked about the the thousands of people that that you've spoken to and that you've been doing this to professionals for a period of time now how do you feel it's it's being perceived and the changes of and they're 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 quite nuanced aren't they some of the the things that are starting to to happen and we hear people feel that they've been maybe treated better after after a failed cycle or you know when previously care might have dropped off people feel that there's maybe more you know during the two-week wait and that type of thing and there's been you know a couple of different efforts to have this over the years and it 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 still needs to be done but it definitely feels like the fact that someone like you is invited to speak at such a kind of industry uh, event highlights the the, the desire from the professionals to, to hear the patient voice and like we've just experienced recently when we shared the CMA guidance on clinics, their involvement of patient advocates to consult with them the whole way through. It really feels like finally the patient voice is being taken seriously and as it should be. Yeah, which is like finally number Mm. one (laughs) Mm. because it's so important. It's our journeys. One of the questions that I was asked during that ESRI presentation was, you know, like how involved should we be? Should patients be in their journeys? And it's like, it's our journey and we are so disempowered by everything that's happening to us and everything we're going through. Absolutely. We should be as involved as we want to be and ask the questions that we want to ask and, and, and actually receive the answers to those questions whatever they are however far flung they are or potentially ridiculous it doesn't matter you know we should be treated respectfully and 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 answered in in that way um and I I think that there has been a lot of work but honestly without sounding kind of not necessarily controversial I think there is a shed load further that we need to go because I I think that there are individuals that are are championing us like I think that the community is just doing the most phenomenal job Mm. we are sharing we are supporting we are being open you know people who 
have never been open about their journey because they've been too scared or too shamed or any of that. They are coming out, so to speak, because of the voices of others. And Natalie, like you are one of those people that has inspired people for many, many years within that. And the Jessica Hepburns and, you know, and and it's and Kate, I know like we, I've only got mm. to know you more recently, I guess, mm. you know, for the last decade, there've been people talking and sharing and now we are reaching a bit of a crescendo and the community is doing just a phenomenal job. The medical professionals, and I say this as a sweeping statement, like I say, I know there are incredible medical professionals in there, need to do more, you know, because unfortunately, a lot of them are really good at the job that they're supposed to be doing. But actually, that job is becoming much more full rounded if that's even a phrase or a word, you know. And also, Kat, and- I think, you know, what you're saying there about the community is doing an excellent job in talking and and raising awareness and promoting the patient voice. That's amazing. And long may that continue. But it's only amazing if the medical professionals start to listen to that. Mm. I mean, I, and implement. I know I do. And implement. Yeah, I listen because I'm in that community and I'm, I'm very active in that community. But a lot of my fellow professionals aren't in that community. So they're not listening, they're not hearing. And it's how the community gets to those medical professionals. That's the missing link at the moment. And obviously, like your your chat with Eshra was a step in the right direction. A lot more of that needs to happen. Completely. And I have to give so much credit because I know that medical professionals listen to my podcast, no doubt listen to your podcast, yeah. you know, and listen to other ones. And that is a brilliant start, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and we need more of that. I just know that... There's a lot of kind of shutters that come down sometimes mm. and, and and we need to sort that out, really. I think there's still that very much an old-fashioned way of working and that a lot of medical professionals will be quite insular and not necessarily want to take on board other viewpoints because it's their, it's their way or the highway. Um, and I think I'm seeing changes. I think we're getting rid of, I like to refer to them as the dinosaur consultants, you know, the ones that wouldn't listen. They're going and the younger medical and nursing profession that are coming through are a lot more open-minded. So I'm definitely seeing changes in that regard. And the patient voice isn't going anywhere, is it? And no. as we say, long may it continue. So we're wanting to talk about the the ideas and the fears and all that comes with being pregnant after infertility and, and we've, we've touched on parenting after infertility and all the things that go on. And... Um, you, Kat, are mom of mom of Ren. Ren's recently turned two, two, yeah, with I a Gruffalo themed Gruffalo themed uh, garden party, there, which yeah. was pretty impressive. Yeah, it was very. <laughs> it was massive. just the filming and the soundtrack. Honestly, it really wasn't that. Even I was delighted with the video. Honestly, <laughs> kudos. Lots of mummy brownie points there. I think happened. Well, we spoke, Kat, on your podcast about. Um, our decision to not have further treatment and I remember when we were talking um I can't remember when it was it was before April it was at the start of this year I think I think it was February time um and I know that you were kind of joking about it being a bit of a therapy session but also talking about your own decision that you were you were edging towards about having um further treatment and you shared that in April that's what you were going to do and we're we're recording this in July we won't be sharing it till later um but you are heading towards a frozen embryo transfer and just want to talk a bit about how you're feeling you uh, kind of experienced so much and been through so much and talked so openly about so much in terms of your fears we've talked about the anxiety and um 
at the start of this podcast, I know you won't mind me saying, but you just hinted at that there's a lot going on. And how would you describe, if I was to give you three words, that you're feeling right now? Oh, God, I'd say only three. Um... <laughs> they have used two now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, somewhat overwhelmed right now. And I think that's an amalgamation of lots of different things and compounded by the fact that I am right in the middle of fertility treatment. Um, I have to say excited, you know, at the prospect that this might work and that we're doing it and... You know, that is exciting. And I just hope that it continues to be exciting for the next nine months and more. And petrified. <laughs> um, because because I'm in the middle of fertility treatment and I'm doing shed loads kind of behind the scenes with my work. Um, I am petrified it's not going to work, number one. And I am petrified for all that I'm going to have to deal with if it doesn't work like for for us in this instance people may or may not know so I turn four I will turn 43 in September next year we would have been 10 years trying to conceive um we are so grateful to have Ren oh my gosh like that is not a position and and even having the conversations earlier this year about are we going to transfer an embryo it's like oh my god who am I like two three years ago I would have just been grateful to have an embryo to transfer. Never mind this, will we, won't we? But it was a, a huge decision for us for so many different reasons, which I have talked about before now. Um, but if it doesn't work, like that's the end of our trying to conceive journey. Mm. And like full stop. There is no more fresh IVF. There are no more embryos that we can transfer. So um, this one little embryo, the the pressure and the emphasis on this is huge, isn't it? And I always, I always talk to my patients who are going through IVF for the second or third time, particularly the second time after having had a successful pregnancy, is that your emphasis has changed. Your emphasis back then was to have a baby for the two of you, you know, to start your family. Your emphasis this time is obviously to have a baby for the two of you, but it's actually to have a sibling for Ren. And that throws on so much more pressure, doesn't it? And so much more desire than perhaps you had previously, but in a different way, if that makes sense. I think you're absolutely right, Kate. Like someone said to me and they hit the nail on the head, like this time it's not existential. No. You know, like we've got Ren and that is amazing. And so if it doesn't work, we've got Ren and that is amazing. Like I know that I have got someone to call me mummy, you know, and that is something that that was all I wanted. Mm. And, you know, during the process of deciding whether or not we were going to transfer this embryo, you know, it's like, am I being selfish? Am I, you know, asking too much and all of that kind of thing. But you're, you're right. Like the reason we ultimately decided to transfer it was because I could not personally just look back and think that we didn't now we had one which perhaps made that decision easier if we had had four five six like any number I just I where do you start with that I have no idea you know because because we couldn't go through this more than once really you know there was no second frozen transfer there's no third there's no fourth there's no money there's not a lot of time there's you know we're just exhausted and so so in that respect, we were lucky that it was only one, but it is only one. So like you say, the pressure on that, if it works, that's amazing. And Ren has a sibling. If it doesn't, 
like I say, all of the emotion, I, I just know that I will have a lot to process. Like, mm. and that is like hanging up the TTC gloves. It's realizing as happy as we are as a triangle family, that's a, something from you, Natalie, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we are really very happy realizing that that is our lot and 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 moving on from there and and you know that's a really good and a really happy thing to be dealing with but it's still something to be dealing with you know so so either way there is there's just going to be a lot to process but you don't have to process that now no I'm trying desperately not to I to be honest right now I'm more scared in some ways about getting pregnant which might sound ridiculous but Mm. I just the idea of being pregnant it does. It scares the bejesus out of me <laughs> because I know how frightening it is. And I know that that anxiety will be right back there. And I know that I have got a lot of tools and I've got a lot more support around me now. And just having heard so much from other people's experience and everything. So I like to think that I would do it in a more settled way this time. Um, maybe not quite so many scans. Well, um, let's- Let's talk a little bit about some of your fears that you've shared in terms of the vaccine, because we are still talking at a point mm. where we're, we're some of us are fully vaxxed, some of us are still going through it. And I hadn't realized until I was reading what you'd shared about the kind of angst that was bubbling away in terms of getting the right vaccination. And you'd share that you'd driven, what was it, you'd driven 90 or you'd driven and been waited like over an hour and then couldn't get the vaccine. And it just seemed like so much. I think the trouble is like there, there's so many parallels with the decision around getting the vaccine to trying to conceive. There really are. Because once again, we are left really disempowered by the situation you know and it's it's nobody's fault because it's it's a timeline thing and we don't have the answers you know we don't have the depth of experience because it's been four five six ten years since it was rolled out so so it's it's no one's fault it really isn't just the same way as my unexplained infertility is no one's fault but I'm left I was left and I know many people in the community just wondering what to do and and sourcing really valuable and really respected information and opinions but still having that decision it's a big decision you know, and it's a yeah, decision down that I think to me you have to make after you've researched it and and had the right conversations with the right people to make your own decision and and I absolutely I sometimes put myself in shoes of women who are trying to conceive and more particular shoes of women who are pregnant and I can't imagine the gravity of the decision if I if I was pregnant I would find I know I would find it a difficult decision to make I I I like to think that I would make decisions that I think that I'm telling people to make or advising people to make but I know it wouldn't be easy yeah and I know people who certainly are pregnant were pregnant when I've had these conversations with them and they haven't had the jab and I I think I probably would have been the same if I'm perfectly honest like, you know you go through so much to get there and you know I am by no means a medical professional I'm not going to explain this very well but you know from what I've been told by professionals by friends of mine who work in certain you know kind of careers and um you know, there's nothing in that vaccine that could hurt a baby, Absolutely. you know, and, and you can hear that. Yeah. But, you know, this time I didn't eat organic, but I have eaten organic because I thought it might improve my fertility. Of course, you'll do and anything. And not hurt my you? baby. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like it's 
we will try anything. We really will. And to be asked to put something that no one really has any answers about into our body while we're trying, while we're pregnant with our miracles, mm. that is a huge decision. It doesn't matter how many people tell you it's safe. It's still a, still a, a what decision. if moment, isn't it? And I know because Kate has talked about this a lot when we've had these questions in our, our Bro at Two or when we've talked about it in a specific podcast episode about the risks to your pregnancy, especially in the third trimester. Third trimester. And, and to you, um, well, more specifically to you, not necessarily to the pregnancy, yeah. but to, to you as an individual in the third trimester. And I just wanted to pick up on a chat, Kat, that I know you had with Lucy, who I think is pinafores and pianists. Um, and didn't she have have COVID whilst pregnant? What what did she... What did she say it was like was it was it quite far far along it was I can't remember how far along she was I want to say over 20 weeks it was in January of this year so 2021 and like when she talks about the conditions which I know would be different but it was stark you know as a pregnant woman and fairly heavily pregnant you know obviously pregnant at that stage there was no toilet that worked they were on um what are they called kind of gurneys or trolleys in um in hallways you know like just the whole situation was really really hideous and we all know like how amazing the nhs have been and and i assume if you walked into hospital now it wouldn't be quite as drastic as that situation was back then or some of 2020 but it's incredibly frightening for her and and the isolation alone you know having to be there on your own when you are pregnant with this little miracle Scared. you know we we're still in a situation where bob can't come in for our scans and for transfer and that's frightening enough so to be ill and to be carrying your precious baby and in isolation and you know in her situation i want to say she's asthmatic so that like there were there were additional kind of health issues and complications going on um but it it sounded incredibly frightening and I think Mm. like her baby was delivered early do we know if that was because of COVID or not this is the whole timeline thing we haven't got firm evidence to say that it was that might have been the situation anyway um and but it's just yeah the repercussions my understanding is she's still kind of dealing and being tested for potential repercussions as well it's a long COVID Mm. yeah in in answer to your vaccination experience, Kat, you've had one. Are you waiting for the second? I'm not going to have the second one until if we get pregnant. I don't know when I will have it. Everything that I've read previously would suggest that if I was going to, it would be in the second trimester. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, again, women are recommended to have it at any point in, in pregnancy. However, they may make the decision to have it in the second trimester after all the developmental factors have, have, have been completed once you've reached the 12 weeks and I think that's probably a sensible decision yeah it just feels too close to transfer because actually I'm booked in for this Friday which I must cancel I really must cancel it um, <laughs> just one of the to-do list but it just feels too close to our transfer to have it kind of within a couple of weeks of so it's not that I wouldn't want to be fully vaccinated for it it's just the way that timing has worked out and when it was available to me it just it's just not a situation that I feel comfortable with I don't think you'd ever forgive yourself if there is any what if would you no by having this conversation and you're listening to it we don't in any way want to scaremongers you know especially with Kate's involvement in the vaccination program we're always so keen to highlight the evidence around this and Mm. everything that we've said I hope you take on board and we don't want to worry you in any way by what we're talking about. And everybody is totally individual and entitled to make their decisions Absolutely. based on everything. That's the so, most important thing. Definitely. Yeah. 
So Kat, what would you say has changed since your time as a parent and what wisdom have you gained from others? Oh gosh. Oh, <laughs> just, to end, question. just to end on a light yeah, question. Okay. How long have you got? Oh. Um, I think somewhat opposite to what I said right at the beginning. I don't think I'm a particularly anxious parent, which is quite nice. That is good, actually, because given the fact that we know, don't we, that research shows that women who've gone through IVF are are generally going to be more anxious in pregnancy and more anxious in their parenting. So it's great that you feel quite relaxed in your parenting. Sometimes that does make me think, oh, my God, does that mean like is something wrong? (laughs) Am I too relaxed? You know, Um, but so so that's been really that's actually been quite nice to find that that's the case. Everything's a phase, you know, all of these things that people say. I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it just in case it's the first time someone hears it, <laughs> that the nights are, sh- are long, but the years are short, like time lies and and it's really annoying when people say that to you. And I do understand that. But it is true. And I just like she's just heaven I was I was there's one kind of thing that's been floating around my head a lot recently and I always wanted to be I guess the one you know and the one that a child would come to for like the ultimate comfort and the ultimate you know like run towards and and I don't know just all of that and it is it is everything and more that Ren does that with me and that doesn't mean that sometimes she can't bear the sight of me (laughs) and that is heartbreaking you know one minute she's all over Bob the next minute she's all over me they are fickle as hell but I just I love being the one that she seeks you know that she looks to when she's really happy and do you know what Kat I remember feeling exactly the same as you and let me tell you what I've now become so I've now become the place that my 19 year old will direct his friends to when they're concerned about sexually transmitted infections and contraception. That right. is, I have become the one when it comes to that. Imagine That's good of, though, is it? it uh, do you know what? For me, I think I'm, I'm obviously done something right in my parenting. If my son is directing, is saying, go and speak to my mum. Like I had a text from him two days ago about a friend he's traveling around Mexico with and, and she's worried about the pill. Speak to my mum. Um, one of his really good friends worried that he had a sexually transmitted infection. He did actually have a sexually transmitted infection. Oh, gosh. Speak to my mum. So, yeah, so wait and see what you've got to come in the next 18 <laughs> years. <laughs> Do you know so it's not only the one that she comes to, it'll be the one that yeah. all of them come yeah. to. I, I can yeah. definitely live with that. Like, that you... was my family's house growing up, you know. I remember specifically with my older sister. I don't know, probably with my friends as well, but I don't know, I guess, because I looked up to them a bit and, you know, that kind of... But it was always our house was kind of the open door, you know, and, mm. and I love that. And I think yeah, that that's too. a really really nice way as a parent and as a child you Mm. know that 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 because you just know where they are and you know you know and they feel safe you know and and like it's okay to kind of have fun and do all that you know like in your home and I don't know I'm kind of talking about teenagers here now but um, but no in the same way when in, in the same way when you mentioned you know the triangle family idea and that's something that from my friends that have got one child they've talked about that open house feel and that's something that despite a pandemic you know that I want for for us you know to to be able to have as well so I think however you look at it you make it what you want it to be well look I know we could talk forever and we will put links to Kat's podcast because it is a brilliant listen and I'm sure if you're listening to this at a stage where maybe you've been listening to the podcast and you're now pregnant and then that Kat is like the graduation from the fertility (laughs) podcast 
Um, I hope, I hope. Yes, even if, yes, yes. Even if you um, are listening to this podcast and you're still trying, then you know that where she is for when you are finally pregnant. There's somewhere else to go, absolutely. Exactly. Well, because unfortunately it doesn't end the anxieties and the, the fears and the concerns and <laughs> the questions. Not. and the. I need to find a teenage one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kat, best of luck with the transfer. And of course, we'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll speak again. Mm. Definitely. Thank you so much, ladies. She's been doing amazing work, Kat, hasn't she? Uh, talking about the patient perspective in the more medical professional environment. We were talking to her about the work that she'd done at Eshra, and I know you heard her talk, didn't you? Mm. I did, and I really wanted to listen to her. And Eshra, for people that don't know, is our big kind of European conference, facility conference that happens every year, and it's very academic. So we have lots of papers, lots of research that is presented and discussed. Um, and, you know, it is full on academia. But this year, they opened it up to get a patient voice, and it was so well received. Uh, it was just so amazing to hear Kat talking, and actually the questions that came to her from professionals as well after her talk. Um, it was just really lovely to hear that actually it was so important for the professionals listening to be able to ask the questions, to be able to hear what Kat had to say, and I think that it we need more of that we need professionals to have an understanding and I include myself in that term professional you know we need we need to have a greater understanding of our pa- the patient's journey and so hats off to Kat for being able to to do that in what is such an academic environment you know it must have been and I know it was scary um and certainly it can be a little bit overwhelming but she did a fantastic job can you remember any of the questions that were asked I know it was a couple of months ago now Oh, so case pull in a face. Yeah, <laughs> I know, don't. I knew you'd like to ask me that. No, no, I just wondered. I think it's amazing. And, you know, we talked earlier in this series about the whole um, CMA guidance that had been done and the involvement of a patient advocate in that whole process because we had Katie Lindemann talking. And mm. I think it's so encouraging to know that the industry is bringing in patient voices and there are amazing advocates. I mean, that's been the wonderful thing about the growth of the kind of the TTC community on social media is that these voices have got stronger and stronger and have been invited to participate in these conversations. And, and I know Kat's on a, on a mission to continue being that kind of patient advocate, sharing her experiences because she she had such a lengthy uh, journey. And and from what we've talked about with her, um, if you aren't following Kat on social media, the frozen embryo transfer that she had sadly didn't work. Um, and I checked that she was all right with us sharing the chat, which she was. Um, and go and follow her at trying years to kind of see how she's kind of sharing that next stage of, of dealing what that looks like because I know all too well you know that kind of understanding of your family being the three of you um, if you've had one child and, and we're hoping to maybe have more you'll probably know we didn't go through further treatments if you've listened to me sharing our story before but um, if you've listened to Kat and it's something that's you're really resonating with do reach out reach out to her reach out to us um there's lots of support which is why we're sharing these stories as we're heading towards the end of this current series where we've kind of been taking you on the journey and i i am very aware that we haven't really given a lot of airtime to cycles not working Mm. have we we've we've had kind of experiences we spoke with amber about frozen embryo transfer and she talked about her experience of them previously not working and obviously kat was talking about what she'd been through and 
you know, we now know that the, the, the most recent transfer that she had didn't work. And in our next and final episode, we are going to be talking about life childless. But I think before we get there, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about a cycle not working and what happens there in terms of conversations with your clinic in conversations with you and your support because I know that people have talked about feeling a bit abandoned mm. after that but there should always be that conversation with your your clinician about what might have happened shouldn't there yeah absolutely and I think you can a bit later on you might be offered a appointment with your clinic to discuss that but it, that can be maybe a few weeks later and, and it's that time between hand where you're trying to digest what has happened you're anxious and worried you're obviously grieving for your loss but then it's also kind of trying to work out in your mind what the next steps are what is your plan b if you like so use that time in between hand when you might just be feeling a little bit left just to regroup gather your thoughts so that you're ready then for your appointment where you can discuss the plan for a next cycle or whatever the next steps might be. I think that time piece is is so important to you. It has to be what's right for you because if you're looking online, you'll see different people doing different things, jumping straight into further treatment, other people taking more time. It's got to be what's right for you. And, you know, we're here to talk it through more with you. You can come and talk to us on our Brew at Two, which is uh, on Thursday on Instagram. We've got a couple more before we're having a break. We're not going to have any more from our expert, Dr. James, uh, for this series, but he will be back in the future. So don't worry about that. And also, also, just um, on that note of kind of the waiting before your next appointment and wondering what's next is we've got a new series coming up soon haven't we where we're going to be looking at hope and that would fit quite nicely into that time if you feel a little bit abandoned a little bit concerned a bit worried about the future and then maybe looking at your emotional resilience then that would be a great series to to listen to it's going to be in the new year so make sure you've subscribed to the fertility podcast which you can do in your favourite podcast app. Keep in touch with us on our socials. I'm at Fertility Poddy. Now, I've got a bit complicated. (laughs) Here we go. So here we go. At the moment, I am at Your Fertility Journey on Instagram. But come the 1st of October, I'm going to make a slight change and I'm going to be at Your Fertility Nurse on Instagram. Okay? Just so it's really clear what I do and I do what it says on a tin, I'm now going to be your fertility nurse from 1st of October. Fingers yeah. crossed that yeah, yeah, all yeah. of all of this chat will make sure that you find both Kate and I. All mm. right, well, look, we've got one more episode coming. Don't miss it. It's a conversation with the brilliant Steph Phillips, who is uh, the founder of World Childless Week, which maybe you saw some of the coverage for. That'll be next week, and then we'll give you a, a full rundown of, of what's to come. Thanks, as always, for your support, and until the next time... Crowd Network, a place where you belong.